Hey, I'm excited to continue in our new series, The Anatomy of an Awesome Church, Part 2. We're going to be unpacking a letter that Jesus wrote to the church in Revelation. So if you want to get your Bible, the, the paper kind or the digital kind, and this morning what we're going to do is we're going to read our Bibles, going to explain our Bibles, and then we're going to apply the Bible to our lives. And so now in the opening chapters of the book of Revelation, Jesus himself sent seven letters to the seven churches of Asia Minor. One of the churches that he wrote to was a church called the Church of Philadelphia. It has nothing to do with the city of Philadelphia in America, but it is a first century Asia Minor church that Jesus wrote to. And Jesus speaks to this younger, smaller, kind of insignificant church in a small city with a history of profound earthquakes and a city that experienced on a daily basis earthquakes where people had to flee the city on a daily basis and lived in this tumultuous time here. And the Church of Philadelphia is very unique among the seven churches there that Jesus wrote of in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 because the Lord doesn't even register one complaint, has nothing negative to say about them. And the people faced forced evacuations, devastating earthquakes that I mentioned, upheaval in their life, unrelenting persecution, and they were just simply trusting Jesus. And so Jesus writes this letter uh, in Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. And I want to read that to you here. It says this. It says, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and you've not denied my name. And so these are the words Jesus said of the one who is holy and true. He describes himself. And this, friends, is what God is like. Says that he is holy. Jesus speaks of himself. He is the Holy One. He is utterly pure and sinless. He is without flaw. He is God. Holy means actually to be set apart for God's purposes or God's use. And Jesus says to the church that these are the words of him who is holy and true. Now, the next word he uses to describe himself is true. In other words, in the original language, he is absolutely genuine. Jesus is the real deal. There is nothing fake about him. Every word that Jesus ever utters is absolutely true. And we love having people in our lives who are genuine, don't we? That aren't putting on facades, that aren't acting and pretending, play acting. And this is what Jesus is like. Jesus is absolutely true. He is holy. He is God. And lastly, he says about himself that I am the one who holds the keys of David. Now, what does that mean to hold the keys of David? Well, this is a reference to a messianic uh, verse in Isaiah chapter 22, verse uh, 22, where Jesus uh, is spoken of and it declares in this messianic promise, declaring the sovereign power and ability of Jesus to open and close doors. And Jesus is saying, I hold the keys. You've seen those uh, custodians, they got those big 
round uh, keychains. Jesus saying, I hold the keys. I have the authority. I am sovereign. I am in ultimate control. I am the one that you can trust. I am the reliable one in an unreliable world. I open doors at my discretion and I close them as well. And no one can lock what I have opened and no one can pry open what I have closed. So friends, Jesus is saying here in Revelation chapter 3, verse 8, I know your works, I know your deeds. Behold, I've set before you an open door which no one can shut. And I know you have a little bit of power, and yet you've kept my word, and you have not denied my name. Jesus says you have a little power. In other words, from our perspective, they weren't very impressive. They were a small church. Yet on the surface, even though they were unimpressive and a small church, Jesus says, I have placed before you an open door. Friends, I would like you to think with me, and I think you would agree with me that open and closed doors, they have the ability to change our lives, don't they? Think of that. An open door can change your life or a closed door. So I think you'd agree that when we have a closed door, it can be pretty disappointing, can't it? We don't want to hear God say, no, not opening that door. I'm not opening that door for you. He's not the one for you. She is not the one for you. That is not the college for you, not the job for you, not the career path for you, not my direction for your life, not my will for your life. I'm closing that door that doesn't align with my will. See, when God closes a door, we shouldn't try to force it open. How many doors have we tried to pry open that God is not opening. God could be to this very day uh, closing a door and there we are pounding on the closed door. And you know you only feel frustrated uh, from pounding on closed doors that cannot be opened. I think we get frustrated and upset and angry and bitter. But how many closed doors have we pounded on that God never intended for you to walk through? Think about that. All the pounding all the pulling, all the pulverizing and whining and trying and twisting. And it's something that God is not going to open that door. And so you can be totally missing the actual door then that God is trying to open for you. So friends, what is it that we need to do? What is it that we need to do? I believe there are certain things that we need to do. First of all, when we're trying to pry open doors that God is not opening, we need to back down. We need, to, we need to back off. We need to take a deep breath. We need to reset. And we need to get to know the one who holds the keys. Get to know the key holder, the divine key holder. Chase after the key holder. I think the key is that we need to hear the key holder's voice for our lives. The key to life, to the Christian life, is getting to know the guy that holds the keys. So when you get to know him, he's going to open the coolest doors. When we are faithful, God opens doors, doors of opportunity, doors of purpose, doors of service, including an open door to a relationship with God. And Jesus tells us the reasons why the Lord opens a door for them. The very same reasons why he'll open doors for us. So these then 
are three highlights that Jesus talks about, three door-opening qualities of a church and individuals. The Lord says to the Church of Philadelphia, some door-opening qualities, and here they are. The first one, he says, is, you have a little power. Now think about that. It doesn't imply weakness, but that they're weak enough then to be strong in the Lord. They realize that they needed God's strength. Jesus says, you have a little power. But they had power. They had spiritual power. It was only power because uh, a little power because they were a little church. But secondly, Jesus says that he opened the doors because you kept my word. They were keepers of God's word. Now, you may wonder, what does it mean to be a keeper of God's word? Well, in the original Greek language, it means this. It means to, to watch over, to guard, to give heed to, to pay attention to, to observe. They said, we're going to take what God has said and we're going to live by that. We're going to determine how we're going to live by what God has said, how we're going to relate to one another, how we're going to relate to God. God's word will be the final word in everything that we do. God opened doors for them because they were keepers of God's word. They realized that they needed God's strength. And then thirdly, uh, he says, you've been faithful. They made consistent, small, faithful decisions. That's what faithfulness is. See, faithful people don't become faithful people in a moment. You become faithful little by little. Small decision by small decision by small decision times 100 times 1,000 times 10,000. Have you ever met someone who became great in just a moment? No, never happens. Jesus said, you've not denied my name. Lastly, the idea behind this that you've not behind, you have not denied my name is that they lived in a way that they were faithful to the name and the character of Jesus. You see, these features, being faithful, being keepers of God's word, leaning to God's strength, really they don't seem very spectacular, do they? They're pretty unspectacular. Yet, Jesus was completely pleased with this church. Jesus had nothing negative to say about the unspectacular church. Jesus said this, I know that you might not be the biggest or the strongest or the coolest or the flashiest church on the planet, but that doesn't matter to me. I'm going to use you in incredibly powerful ways because you depend on me. You see, because of who you are, big faith, keepers of my word, leaners on my strength, here's what I'm going to do for you, Jesus said in verse 8. I've put before you an open door that no one can shut. And the emphasis means unhindered openness. Wouldn't you love that in your life to have unhindered openness, doors that God is opening for you? See, Jesus is the divine doorkeeper. Jesus opens and closes doors as it pleases him in his sovereignty. Jesus determines which doors are open and which doors are are closed. Friends, every open door is an expression of God's activity in our life. But also, every closed door is an expression 
of God's activity in our lives, though we don't always think about that. Jesus has opened a door for us even now. That is who he is. I believe that the great door opener has given us unparalleled opportunities as a church and as a people. And I'm sure that when this happens on an individual basis, you begin to hear those whisperings of doubt in your ears like this. You're too small. You are ineffective. You are useless. You're weak. God could never use you. What significant thing could puny little you ever do? Step into reality with you. Get real. To which Jesus would shout, I know you have little strength, but having little strength is a great thing because you trust in me. And and so don't let uh, that paralyze you. Jesus is saying, I will empower you to walk through the open doors that I've placed before you. And today, I want to just make a declaration over our, over the church, over Sanctuary Church. I want to make this declaration based on Revelation chapter 3 to the church at Philadelphia. I want to piggyback on that and say this, that we will be a people who will walk through open doors with unwavering trust. Let me say that again. We will be a people who will walk through open doors with unwavering trust. It's awesome. You see, no matter what happens to us, no matter what happens to the economy, no matter whatever happens to Corona, when God opens doors, we're going to walk through those doors with unwavering trust. So let's look again there at Revelation chapter 3, where Jesus said, I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. See, Jesus is placing in front of them a divine opportunity to serve God's purpose, an opportunity to, to be seized. The question is, are we going to to seize open door opportunities? Are we going to be mindful and watchful of open doors? How are we going to be? In so many ways, a sanctuary story is a story of God opening doors and courageous people walking through them with unwavering trust. And this is the story behind the ranch today that God has opened for us. Courageous people walking through doors with unwavering trust. And I'm so grateful for you that you have done that. Years ago, we began praying about locating a property for sanctuary, something that would be close to the freeway, people could commute to. And that began a movement, uh, or this would be a movement where life change would happen for decades to come. And then in November, we were able to tour the ranch. And I have to tell you that my heart was like skipping a beat here and there as I, I was checking box after box and thinking, this is a beautiful property on five acres. The building is already there waiting to be remodeled. It's everything that we need, the opportunity to repurpose it into a great church. It was just, just amazing. But there was only one problem. There was 40 people, like 40 developers and dreamers who had lined up and were waiting to, to buy and view the property. So we were able to contact the point person who was selling the property, and uh, they showed us the property. And when we were there, they told us there were 40 groups that were waiting to, to see the property. And none of us knew that there was God working behind the scenes. Because 40 years ago, 
Pastor Steve Mason of Sanctuary Mission did tons of business with the owner of the property and knew the family. And the owner was in a business uh, group with a couple of men from Sanctuary Church, Todd Madsen and Ridge Burns. And friends, this was God opening the door. It was just God. So let me repeat the words again that Jesus said. See, I have set before you, placed before you an open door that no one can shut in Revelation chapter 3, verse 8. So I want to share with you another scripture that uh, ties in with this from our past elders retreat where we went away for strategic planning. We came away with a scripture every year. They uh, hear God's voice for the church and they came away with a scripture for the church that is Isaiah chapter 43, verse 11, which speaks really of so much the ranch. And we're really believing that we're going to be able to reach people that no one else is reaching with the hope of Jesus Christ, really hoping that we'll be able to do what, uh, what other churches aren't willing to do. And so, uh, and as the best that we can discern that the vision that God has given us, and this is what he's leading us to do. And so, as we begin to close, let me say this, to deepen the DNA of every dynamic church, there are distinctives which I believe drive them in their mission. And these are found also in Revelation chapter 3. And I want to unpack these for you. Jesus said and talked about uh, the dynamic church, the anatomy of an awesome church, having three things. One was to have dynamic love. Secondly, dynamic sacrifice. And thirdly, dynamic prayers. I want to ask those of us who call sanctuary your home to embody the vision through dynamic love. By that I mean this. I'm talking about intentionally loving your neighbors, loving your relational circle, loving the friends God places around you, your family, your colleagues, those that are far from God, those that are facing a Christless eternity. Remember the story that Jesus told about a shepherd who had 99 sheep in the fold and one was lost. And we sang this song this morning. And it says that the 99 did what? The 99 were there, but the shepherd left them to go after the one lost sheep. Friends, this shows the heart of God, the priority of God. And friends, deep in the DNA of a dynamic church is this core conviction that every lost sheep matters to God, and we want to go after them. And as long as there's one person who needs Jesus, the mandate is to go after them on a search and rescue mission because God wants his house to be full and wants us to go after lost sheep. Now I get it. Some people will say, oh, you know, isn't it enough? You know, why should we be concerned about uh, all the quality? Isn't it, is it enough? Or should we just be concerned about quantity and not quality? Well, let me just think about that. I want to say that both are important. Quality is important and quantity is important. We want to go after every lost sheep. Imagine that you're getting in your car, going on vacation, and you have three children, you're getting ready to leave, you packed up the kids there, and you got two of your children in the car, and you say to your wife, honey, uh, I can only find two of the kids, so let's just go ahead and go on vacation, because they're quality kids. These are really super quality kids. We got in the back seat here, honey. Do you think your wife would be satisfied with having the two quality kids when the other one 
is lost? Or would she say, leave the two and go after the one? That's the heart of God, friends. Because when it comes to our kids, we don't just care about quality. We care about quantity, too. That's why the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 19, the reason that Jesus is not returned is because he said this. He is patient and does not want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. That is God's heart. So we want to live that out, the reality of that in our church experience. Well, secondly, I'm going to ask you that you would join me and join my wife, Kirsten, and ask God how he might have you resource the vision through dangerous sacrifice. It's only going to happen as we're willing to sacrifice. See, the church has always advanced and, and stepped through doors with people who were willing to sacrifice by the sacrifice of many people. And we're going to be showing you. I'm so excited. I'm so fired up to show you the building in just a couple months. We have to get it cleaned up a little bit. But we're going to be able to show you the building. And we'll be doing tours this summer. But let me be clear about this. Let me be super clear. I'm not asking you to give uh, to this. What I'm asking you to do this is I'm asking you to ask God if you should give to this, to the Go Beyond. And if God leads you, some of you, to give to the Go Beyond vision over the next couple of years, that would help us to, to remodel the building. It's going to cost a couple million dollars, but we can do it. We can do it. So here's the last question. Here's the last question. Would you undergird this journey through prayer? By this I mean that Jesus is asking uh, us to pray. So I'm going to ask you to make it quite personal today that you'd be willing to do this. Should you be willing to pray? That you'd be willing to identify people that you want to pray for, that they would come to know Christ. I think it's, it's really important. And that's what I'm asking you to do. If you would pray for them, even begin to think about that and gaining a list of how you could pray for them. So I want to ask you to make this quite personal today. And here's what I want you to do. Who is the one person in your life that you would you identify and the one that you could pray for them every day? And as you're thinking, some of you might have prodigal kids that you have prayed for and you're waiting for and you're hoping for that they would return to Jesus and return to the faith. Some of you have prodigal spouses, husbands or wives, and there are people that we have the most emotion for, and strangely, they're also the people that we have the least hope for spiritually. And maybe uh, some of them or someone else that you're close to or someone that you've just given up on and you'd say, Rod, you just don't know my husband, you don't know my wife, my son, my daughter, my ex, my neighbor, my dad, my mom, my grandparents. They would never know Jesus. And yet, I want to say this, that Every Sunday when the church can actually meet and is not quarantined like we are now, in every row there are people there that have gathered and that we are full of people where there's one person that we never gave up on, that somebody prayed for. And so that someone prayed dynamic prayers and they reached out to with an invitation and Jesus changed their life because of someone who prayed. Thank God that they didn't play it safe, that they didn't stop praying, right? So let's go back to Revelation chapter 3, verse 8. Jesus said, See, I have placed before you an open door, 
that no one can shut. And friends, I want to say thank you for walking through doors time and time again with an unwavering trust in our God. And I believe that now is the time that some of you who've kind of been on the edges and been on the fences of sanctuary, it's time to walk through an open door. And I believe that some of you, when you look back, you'll say, yeah, that guy Rod there talking about open doors. And he said, it's time to walk through an open door. And I became a part of it. And I started embodying the vision of God's dynamic love and for people and making daring sacrifice and praying dangerous prayers. And God did a miracle. And maybe, just maybe, it's time, friends. And I think it would be so cool that when we're meeting in our future campus, we have a future home, that there will be a church that is touching young people. And marriages will be healed and addicts will find freedom. And we'll be fostering kids and adopting children and experiencing the never-ending amazing grace of Jesus Christ. And think about it. Just think about it. And one day, when you and I are dead and we are gone, the greatest legacy that we will leave, that we can ever leave, is a hope-giving, grace-giving, freedom-giving, life-giving church for the good of men in the glory of God. Well, friends, if you want to just prepare yourself to receive God's blessing, to put your hands out, and we give our empty hands to God, and he fills them with his blessing. So let me pray this prayer of blessing over you as you put yourself wherever you're at in a posture to receive God's blessing. And Father, see your children. You see their hearts. You know everything about them. And Father, I pray that you'd watch over them. I pray that you would bless them. I pray that they would sense your nearness. I pray they would sense the activity of your Holy Spirit in their lives. I pray, Father, that when they're fearful, that they would look to you, that they would find hope and strength in you. I pray, Father, that you would do this and that you would do more, that you would bless them beyond their greatest imaginations. You are the God that cares for them and loves them. So I pray that you would do this and you would do more. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God bless you and hope to see you next week for Drive-In Church at the Ranch. God bless you.